Many of you um, may have heard of the uh, ancient Greek philosopher uh, Aristotle. Uh, Some of you have already lost you. (laughs) You don't want to hear anything about the Greek philosopher Aristotle. Uh, But bear with me uh, just a few moments. But uh, Aristotle once taught that there were three aspects, there were three parts to persuasive speech. Uh, If you want to persuade someone with your words, uh, these three aspects must be there. He said, first, to be persuasive, uh, we must be reasonable. Uh, What we're saying needs to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, you're not going to persuade anyone. Uh, Second, he says, we need to speak with a suitable empathy with the people we're listening to. Uh, They have to feel like we mean what we say and that they understand. Otherwise, they'll just appear distant and out of touch and we won't be persuaded by them. And thirdly, he says, uh, those who are seeking to persuade others, uh, for them to persuade others, they must be honest and trustworthy and they must be seen to be honest and trustworthy otherwise people just dismiss them as hypocrites and they will not listen Uh, to put it another way uh, if you speak uh, unintelligibly people will just dismiss you as a fool and they won't listen Uh, if on the other hand you're cold and unfeeling in what you say they will just find what you say distasteful and they won't want to listen and if you are um, if your words don't match your life if they think that you're speaking untruthfully then they'll just despise you as wicked and call you a hypocrite I think we can probably agree that those are quite important things to be if we want to persuade others but the sad thing is Uh, That in this world, so many people uh, settle for the mere appearance of those things. And I'm going to pick on a particular group of people now, but uh, I think with reason, uh, politicians (laughs) so often can be guilty of settling for the mere appearance of those things and not the reality. Uh, Instead of speaking the truth in a way that we can understand... They can speak lies dressed up as truth. And they can use statistics to do that. It's amazing. You can use statistics to prove anything if you really want to. And so often we settle, if we're honest as well, we can do the same thing. Uh, We can settle for lies dressed up as truth instead of the truth itself. Uh, Instead of an honest concern for others... Sometimes people can settle for a manufactured concern for others. They might become wonderful actors. And some public speakers are brilliant actors. Uh, They can put on a great performance and you can almost see the tears in their eyes and in their voice. But they don't have real concern. It's manufactured. It's an act. And instead of having true integrity of heart, They merely want to look good on the outside. And they may pay uh, extortionate amounts of money to hush up 
anything which might tarnish that good reputation and they might get uh, court injunctions to silence people because they're not so much concerned about being really good and really righteous. They merely want to give the appearance of it on the outside. But that's not what Peter teaches in these verses. Uh, Peter says we must be truthful all the way down. Peter says, when we seek to persuade others, when we seek to share the gospel with others, we cannot afford to be like politicians. We must speak the truth boldly. Not just the appearance of the truth, the actual truth. Uh, We mustn't just have a manufactured concern for people and sort of Um, make up tears in our eyes and try to affect our voice in a way which makes people think we care, we must really care and have a genuine, sincere concern. And instead of having a righteousness, a goodness which looks good on the outside, we need to be righteous on the inside. We need to have a heart that has been cleansed by God's. And that really is the theme of these verses uh, in this section of 1 Peter. Uh, In verses 15 to 17, uh, Peter describes what a believer, what a Christian must be like as they share the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. What Peter is saying in these verses is that we must live our lives in the sight of God not merely in the sight of men or women. That's the temptation, isn't it? We can all fall into it. We want to live in such a way that other people approve of us, but we don't think about what God thinks. As long as people are pleased with us, we're happy. But we don't stop to think, is God pleased? With us. That's what it means to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Give God first priority in your life. Uh, imagine and understand that your first audience is God Himself. Anything we do is seen first and foremost by God. And Peter says we must live in that way. And if we live in that way, we will persuade others in the way we should persuade them as we seek to share the gospel with them. And he really touches on three areas. Uh, Peter touches on three areas as we seek to share the gospel, which we all should want to do if we are a believer here this morning. That's Jesus' great commission, isn't it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus said And Peter gives us instruction how to do this. The first thing he says is that we must understand 
what we believe. Look again at verse 15. Uh, He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Peter says that as believers, we should be ready to defend what we believe. Uh, The sad truth is, of course, that um, many Christians don't understand what we believe. Um, They perhaps might say, well, that's the pastor's job, or that's a preacher's job, or that's the extra keen Christian's job. Um, And they sort of settle for a a shallow understanding. But if we're sanctifying God in our hearts, if God is truly the most important person in our lives, we can't afford to have that attitude. Uh, If we truly treat God as our first audience, the person we think of first of all, who we love with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, then we have to be concerned about who he is and what he says and what he has done. Um, Think of the energy and effort you put into your own work, uh, those of us here who are working. Uh, You can't afford, can you, to not take care in your work. Uh, That's true if you're a brain surgeon or if you're uh, a, in waste disposal, or if you're a hairdresser, or if you're um, whatever your career might be. You have to know what you're doing, or else you're going to get yourself in all sorts of trouble, and you won't be in that occupation for much longer. We all understand that, don't we? We all understand that we must know our jobs. Even if you're not working, perhaps you're a parent uh, at home, Uh, you realize that as a mother or a father, you have a role, you have a responsibility, and you must understand how to raise your children. Uh, Not perfectly, but you must have an understanding or else it will be a disaster. Think about the amount of time we spend understanding our finances or understanding... uh, the food we eat, where we go, where we spend our time. Because these things are important to us. We know we need these things. The tragic thing is we sanctify those things in our hearts, our bank balance, our health, uh, our family, and we should give them special places in our hearts. And yet, not at the expense of God. (laughs) not at the expense of our creator. And if we truly believe God is the one who has created us, we cannot afford to ignore what he says. And that's why Peter says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason that is within you, for the hope that is within you. Why are you a Christian? If you are a Christian here this morning, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you choose to spend your Sunday, or Sunday morning at least, or an hour or so, in church? Why? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you follow Jesus? Peter says we should have a reason. We should be able to give a defense to anyone, everyone who asks. Why do we follow Christ? 
and not someone else. We need to have understanding. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean we have to understand everything, thankfully. We don't have to be all Bible scholars. Uh, We don't have to know the answer to every single question. But we should know why we believe what we believe. Uh, We should be able to say, like the blind man, the man who was born blind, who Jesus healed in John, I think it's John 11, I need to check it out. Uh, Do you remember what he said? Uh, The Pharisees started asking all sorts of questions, and they were uh, grilling him about who Christ was. And he didn't know the answer. But what he did know was this. He said, this one thing I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was blind, but now I see. He was able to give a reason for the hope in Christ that was within him. Because I don't know anything about this man, but I know once I was blind, but he's made me see. That's what Peter means by giving a defense to everyone who asks the reason of the hope that is within us. So that's the first question for us all here this morning. Uh, Why are you a Christian if you are a Christian? Why do you follow the Bible? Why do you trust Christ? Peter says we need to have answers to those questions. But Peter continues, uh, that's not all that is involved as we share the gospel with other people. Uh, Because it's one thing to know what we believe and why we believe it, but that doesn't mean we necessarily communicate it in the right way. Look what Peter says again. I'll read from verse 15. He says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter says, when we tell other people about Jesus, when we explain to other people why we are followers of him and why it's so important, we must do that with meekness and fear. We should have a particular attitude when we share the gospel. And again, sadly, many uh, informed Christians, Christians who know their Bible, uh, who could uh, repeat many verses off by heart and can tell you all the theological words and their meaning, and yet they fall at this hurdle and they wield truth like a club. You ever met people like this? And they're very proud of all that they know, and they're just waiting for a victim to pour their knowledge out on, like a fire hydrant uh, pouring out water upon them. Uh, Some Christians delight to share the truth, not out of concern for others, uh, but simply because they like to show off the knowledge that they have. Um, Other Christians delight to be contrarian, Uh, They like to cause offence because it gives them a sort of buzz and it kind of wins them the applaud of their um, peers around them. Uh, And they feel like they're standing for truth and yet they're obnoxious as they share it. Peter says, no, we need to share the truth with meekness and fear. Um, I've shared this illustration before, but apparently Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, you've probably 
given him some of your money, I'm pretty sure. Most of us have. Um, apparently, when he was 10 years old, uh, he saw an advert on the TV, and it stated that every puff, of, uh, every puff a smoker took on a cigarette shortened his or her life by two minutes. And he saw this advert, and he was a bit of a, um, a maths sort of genius. Um, he loved mental arithmetic. And so he began adding up the minutes uh, a long-time smoker like his grandmother would have lost to cigarettes. And he gleefully shared this information with his grandmother. Well, unsurprisingly, although it was to his surprise, uh, his grandmother began to cry when he announced that she had lost 16 years of her life to smoking. And his grandfather took him aside. And his grandfather wasn't angry, and he didn't try to punish Jeff, but he simply said this to him. He said, one day you'll learn that it's much harder to be kind than to be clever. That's what we must be as Christians. Not clever, showing off our own knowledge, but we should be kind. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes we do have to be cruel to be kind, as the saying goes. Nevertheless, we should always be motivated by a concern for the person we are trying to help, even if they do not understand that that is where our motivation is. Peter says we need to share the reason for our hope with meekness and fear. The truth is not our truth. Uh, It's not something which belongs to us. It's God's truth. And people uh, are not just receptacles of our knowledge, uh, ears to listen to our voices, uh, an audience to perform for. And so the Bible says that human beings are dying people. People precious in God's sight, made in his image. And unless they hear the gospel, and unless they understand the gospel, and unless they receive the gospel and trust in what Christ has done, then they're lost for all eternity. And the weight of that responsibility should teach us to share the gospel with meekness and fear. Great things are at stake, and it should prick pride in our hearts. Uh, It should help us to share the gospel in the right way, with kindness, not merely with cleverness. So that's the second thing Peter says. He says we need to understand what we believe and why we believe it. We need to share that truth with meekness and fear. But he goes on. I'll read again from verse 15. He says, Always be ready to give offence to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. Peter says, we need to have a good conscience. We must have integrity. You know, it's possible to understand the gospel. It's possible to understand the gospel and be meek and humble about it, and yet our lives not be in sync with the gospel we say we believe in. 
It's possible to live your life in such a way that you deny the words that you are speaking. You might say that Jesus Christ is your Lord's, and yet your life says the opposite. You might say that sin is bad and sin deserves to be punished, and yet your life not show that reality. You might say that Jesus is the most wonderful person in the universe, and yet your life not reflect that reality. Peter says we have to have a good conscience. We need to have integrity. And if we don't, our words will be affected. Uh, The way we share the gospel will lack power because people will see through us and they will say, but look at your life. It does not match the words that you are speaking. Uh, Hypocrisy in your heart if I can put it this way, will leave a stain on your lips. Have you ever had a stone in your shoe? Uh, It's very difficult to walk normally if you've got a pebble sitting in the sole of your foot. It's going to affect the way you walk. And it's the same with sin in our lives. If we have sin which we're not admitting to God, we're not confessing to God, that we're trying to hide from God, it will affect our lives in the way we speak in the way we share the gospel with others. We will say things uh, which we shouldn't say, and we will leave out things we shouldn't leave out because we have that guilt on our conscience. Now, to be absolutely clear, (laughs) this does not mean that we have to be perfect in order to share the gospel. If that was so, none of us could. That's not what Peter is teaching The gospel is for sinners, and that includes the sinners who are sharing it with others. As one person put it, um, Christians are just hungry beggars who have found bread sharing the news with other beggars. That's all a Christian is. We are no better than others. The difference is we are living in an honest relationship with God. We're not hiding our sin we're admitting our sin. We're not running away from God, we're running to God. We're not shutting our ears to God, we have our ears open to him. That's the third question Peter has, in essence, for us. Are you listening to God in your life? Uh, Does God have that chief place so that though you stumble, though we fall, Nevertheless, we return again and again to Christ because he is the chief authority in our lives. If that's not us, our words will not have power. Our words will not have authority. People will see that we are merely hypocrites. That's why Peter says we must have a good conscience. And that, of course, brings us back to where we started the importance of sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts, living our lives as though we have an audience of one, God himself. I remember one preacher saying that whenever he preached to a congregation, uh, he wouldn't think so much uh, about the people in front of him, but he would imagine what he would say if Jesus himself 
was sat at the back? What would he preach if Jesus was listening to his message? Because, of course, that was the truth. Jesus was and always is listening to all that we say. And I've just got a little poem which I'd like to uh, close with, which teaches this reality and the danger of hypocrisy. Uh, The poem goes, You can fool the hapless public. You can be a subtle fraud. You can hide your little meanness, but you can't fool God. You can advertise your virtues. You can self-achievement lord. You can load yourself with riches, but you can't fool God. You can magnify your talent. You can hear the world applaud. You can boast yourself somebody, but you can't fool God. Let's not be like the worst of politicians. Let's not settle for a merely outward show which looks good to others. But let's sanctify God in our hearts. Put him in first place. And if we do that, we will speak the truth. We will speak the truth with sincerity and with meekness and with fear. And we will keep a clean conscience before him as we seek to walk day by day with him. That's why I've chosen uh, as our final hymn, number 771. Uh, 771, which is a hymn which we've sung many times before, but it reminds us of the task that we have been given. If we are a believer here this morning, to share the gospel with others. And it reminds us of the weight of the responsibility that we have. It's number 771, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. So we'll stand to sing number 771.